Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Jen McCaffrey. Jen covers the Red Sox for The Athletic. You can give her a follow on Twitter at JC McCaffrey. Jen, welcome back to the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get into the Red Sox a little bit before we get into your great piece about the 1918 World Series. Let's talk about the present-day Red Sox. Their magic number is two from clinching the division, I believe. They've already won 100 games. Chris Sale started on Sunday. He went up to three innings. How many more starts does Sale have left at this point? Yeah, he's going to be pitching twice more uh, in the regular season. He's scheduled to go again on Friday in Cleveland, and then he'll have one more start after that, um, the uh, the 20. 20- Sixth, I think it is at home against Baltimore. Um, it's a Wednesday, so whatever that whatever that final game against Baltimore is, and he'll just kind of keep uh, building up from there. He'll probably go, you know, four-ish or four or five innings on Friday, and then and I think they'll probably shoot for six, uh, five or six next next Wednesday in that final start. And you know, he said the other the other day when we talked to him after uh, the start that uh, you know he'll be able to throw, or he's expecting to be able to throw a hundred by the time you know he makes that first playoff start. So, you know, they're, they're taking it slowly with him, but I think that's the right approach. Did he express any abnormal discomfort after his start on Sunday? No, um, you know, just kind of the normal the normal stuff. Obviously, um, you know, it's usually the next day, I think, is usually when they, you know, uh, will feel anything. But um, they're, they're off today in, in, in New York on uh, Tuesday. So uh, we'll probably touch base with him then. But um, it, he... He kind of, you know, that first start that he came back, he threw an inning. He was supposed to throw two, and he was sort of erratic, um, and, and that's the reason why they didn't have him go out for a second inning. He was much sharper um, on Sunday, and he kind of said that he was probably trying a little too hard and trying to throw too hard in that in that first start, um, in that first inning uh, when he came back. So so this the results this time were, were much better, and he kind of, you know, pulled back a little bit. He was I think he topped out at about 96, which, you know, he's normally 97, 98, but he said that was by design. So um, it seems like everything's, you know, going as planned. Do you think that he is pushing to get enough innings to qualify for the ERA title? Is that something that matters to him? I think he needs 12 more. It's possible, you know, maybe he goes five the next start and seven on the last one. It seems doable, but is that something he's pushing for? I don't think so. Um, you know, he's always kind of every time we've asked him about whether it was, you know, 300 strikeouts last year or anything, you know, in between in terms of personal achievements, he's always kind of, um, you know, uh, brushed that aside and said something he'll think about, you know, in the future. And he's, he's kind of just focusing on what's best, you know, to help the team win because he, his ultimate goal is to kind of, you know, obviously like most of these guys to win the World Series. So I honestly think that's more um, in his mindset, I mean, if it happens, that'd probably be great. But at the same time, I think that he um, realizes he kind of needs to take care of, you know, um, you know, first things first with, with, you know, the arm health and make sure he can actually go out and give it at all, his all uh, come October. So I think that's more uh, in the in his, more of his mindset. And I appreciate that, but it would be a big bummer to fall short by one inning, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, like he's he's a pretty big competitor. So, I mean, I'm sure... There's some of that in the back of his mind, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't imagine that he'd be able to convince them, you know, um, to push it, you know, a couple extra innings um, just to have that. So I'm sure he'd be disappointed, but I'm not sure that they would necessarily let him get to that point. Do you think that if the Red Sox didn't have such a comfortable lead in the division, they would have shut him down at all? That's a good question. You know, I think the first time they shut him down, I don't think they thought it was as, um, 
I won't say significant because I mean, it's not like he tore anything, but there was just, you know, inflammation. I don't think they, I think that the, the initial shutdown um, in early August was for, you know, precautionary reasons. And then when he came back and it still was there, I think they were extra cautious because they realized maybe there is something more here. It's a good question. Cause you know, if they were, you know, neck and neck with the Yankees, maybe, maybe sale wouldn't have even said anything, um, you know, and, and maybe he realized, you know, kind of, uh, last year when he pushed himself way, you know, way hard in the, in the end and, and kind of didn't have enough, uh, when it came to October, um, you know, maybe he would have done the same thing again this year. That's, that's a tough one, but, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not too sure I can necessarily answer that one, uh, in hindsight, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems like they're taking the right steps at, at, at this point anyway. Mookie Betts revealed that his left side has been bothering him for a little bit. Do we know how long that's been bothering him, and is there anything to worry about there? He said uh, he said a couple days he's, he's been feeling it and getting treatment. Um, and after the game, you know, Cora said he took him out for precautionary reasons, and, you know, they gave him treatment yesterday after the game, and he's going to, you know, be at Yankee Stadium today on the off day to get more treatment. And Cora said he expects him to be in the lineup on Tuesday um, as, as, as DH and, and Jay Martinez will be in right. Uh, but I, you know, there's a slight bit of concern considering he had, uh, he was on the DL in June for, I think it was about 12 games. He missed, uh, 12 or 14 games with left, you know, abdominal soreness. Um, they didn't call it an oblique. Um, they just kind of said like the general abdominal area, but we all kind of know that those oblique injuries or those side injuries sort of linger just because there's so much twisting and, you know, um, you know, torquing of the torso in terms of, you know, when you're swinging, when you're throwing, he said it's, he feels he felt it more when he's throwing. Um, so, uh, so maybe that, you know, it's a little bit of obviously a different area. Uh, but at the same time, I still think that there's a, I don't know, I, I think you kind of want to keep an eye on that. I'm sure they will over the next few weeks. And once they clinch a division, um, you know, I, they'll be resting guys a lot more than they have been. Uh, so I would imagine he'd be one of those guys that's going to be getting more, uh, more rest than normal. The Sox bullpen has been inconsistent lately. It hasn't been terrible, but different players have had bad nights at different times. Uh, and that's worrisome heading into the playoffs where bullpen consistency matters most. What do they plan to do in October with their bullpen? Yeah, that's kind of the $64 million question. I mean, you've got Craig Kimbrell, and then, you know, honestly, there's no real locks after that. I mean, Ryan Brazier's been sort of a godsend, you know, of, of a guy that they signed on a minor league deal out of Japan last year. Um, he didn't really have too many options. He, he emailed, I think, all 30 teams, and they signed into a minor league deal. He impressed in spring training, and they brought him up in July, and he's pretty much been lights out. So, I mean, aside from Kimbrell and Brazier, um, and, you know, obviously Brazier's never really been on this big of a stage heading into the playoffs, You've got maybe Matt, you know, you've got Matt Barnes, but Barnes is also dealing with hip inflammation that we uh, learned about just a couple weeks ago. And so he's been, hasn't pitched in a while. He should be getting back on the mound this week. Um, but that's still sort of an area of concern. Um, Joe Kelly and Heath Hembree haven't been sharp at all over the past couple months. Um, so that's a concern. Brandon Workman's been doing better. Um, you know, has had a pretty, you know, decent stretch of late. Um, so he's, he's someone they're probably considering from one of those spots. Stephen Wright has come off, you know, the DL from dealing with knee inflammation following the surgery on the knee last year. And he's uh, an interesting candidate. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to have a knuckleball in the bullpen, but at the same time, 
you know, just that total change in velocity and kind of, uh, you know, look that you get from a knuckleball might be an interesting thing to kind of throw in after, you know, uh, a starter like Sale or, or, or Price, you know, throwing 95. So I think that's something they've sort of hinted at, but I don't think that's a definite by any means. Um, they have a lefty that came out of uh, Pawtucket, AAA Pawtucket, uh, Bobby Pointer, who's had who's been pitching well for them over the month of September when they called him up. So they have a they have a lot of uh, interesting options, but I would say outside of Kimbrel and Brazier, there's not too many uh, you know definites or locks by any means um, in, in just kind of what they want to do. Um, it's going to be that's one of the biggest questions kind of heading into October, and if if they don't make it. Uh, as far as they want to make it in the, in this in this postseason, I think that uh, you'll be pointing to the bullpen as as the reason why. And the four starters going into the playoffs, we expect to be Sale, Price, Porcello, and Rodriguez. That's what I'm. Um, you know, that's what I'm assuming. Um, I think they. You know, the other. You know, the other option is uh, Avaldi, and and so you know, does he go to the bullpen or do they leave him off? Um, but, uh, that, you know, those four guys are who I'm seeing as, as what I'm thinking are going to be starters. Um, I guess it's possible they move, uh, Eduardo or, or Purcell to the bullpen. But I, I, if I had to kind of put my, my money on it today, I would say those four guys are, are the starters for the postseason. Before we get into the 1918 Red Sox, who's your American league MVP this year? Who's going to win? I think, uh, oh man, you know, that's, that's, a again, another super tough question, but I think, uh, I don't think you can kind of look past what Mookie's done. Um, you know, JD Martinez has kind of been the, the life, you know, kind of jolted an extra amount of life into this team. Um, and obviously has had, uh, terrific numbers this year, but I think, I still think, you know, Mookie has a slight edge, um, just obviously the defense he provides in addition to the, you know, wild offensive numbers he's been able to, to put up. Um, I, I think kind of gives him an edge in that department. You, you can look to Martinez's kind of intangibles that he gives the team, but I don't know that you can necessarily, uh, uh, you know, factor that in for an MVP vote. And, you know, Mike Trout is always in the conversation, but I, I feel like, you know, it's got to come down to the bets or Martinez. And if, you know, if I had a vote, I would probably give bets, you know, uh, a very slight edge in, in that, in that race. There was a report, or I read, or I heard something recently. I think effectively Wild was talking about this that JD Martinez should get more MVP consideration because he's made other players in the lineup better. And it's not that traditional, oh, he it's his presence in the lineup sort of thing. It's that he's actually looking at tape and giving guys hitting mechanic advice and helping guys with their swing path and that kind of thing. Do you think there's anything to that? So that's been that that's kind of one of the intangibles, I guess I was talking. Uh, referencing um, in that he has been a huge impact, you know, on the team itself in terms of um, helping guys with, with um, just sort of their pre, you know, pitch routine, I guess, you know, um, and just sort of how they, or I guess pre at bat routine um, in terms of how they prepare, how they watch video, um, what they do in the cages. Um, it's been something that he's kind of worked with a lot of different guys, including Mookie, um, you know, throughout the season. And, and Xander uh, has benefited from that too. Um, and just sort of uh, watching and listening to, you know, how Martinez prepares. Um, and, and obviously it's worked wonders for himself too. So, I mean, uh, it's not like he's uh, anything's been taken away from his own game because he's helping so many other guys. Um, you know, at the same time, those guys actually have to go out and, you know, produce. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's been a really, um, I guess, has had a huge impact on the lineup itself um, and just helping these guys uh, maybe – 
come into their own a little bit more, figure out what what what, what extra edge they can give themselves. Um, and also just, uh, I think one of the other things that he helped with this year was um, wanting sort of um, meetings before every game instead of every series. I think Alex Spear, the Boston Globe, had uh, first reported this a little while back, a few months back. They've, they've been having uh, a lot more um, uh, hitting meetings. Um, it's every day as opposed to just the first game of the series. Um, and I think, you know, that Alex had written that that's something that uh, J.D. kind of, you know, asked the team if they could do because, it, you know, it seemed to help and prepare uh, the guys a lot better. And obviously the offense has been terrific this year. So um, that, you know, might have an effect in some way. So he's he's so Martinez has had, you know, uh, a big impact overall. Um, it It's hard to figure out, you know, where you draw the line in terms of what you're looking at for, you know, an MVP, what you're awarding um, the MVP, you know, trophy for. Um, Is it sort of some of these, like I said, sort of intangible um, things that that he's provided or is it, you know, what he's done on the field, you know, defensively, offensively and kind of all around. So it's going to be an interesting race. I'm really curious to kind of see how they, how it ends up you know, panning out, um, because, you know, it's, it's not one, it's the other. And, and honestly, it could go, go to either guy and they'd both be uh, extremely deserving. Well, let's go back a hundred years. Let's go back to <laughs> 1918. You had a great feature length piece up on the athletic about the 1918 Red Sox. 1918 was of course the last time the Red Sox won the world series prior to 2004. There was an 86 year gap. Uh, world war one was still going on. Spanish flu had uh, killed many people inside the United States. Where did baseball rank just as a priority at that point in 1918 in general? Yeah, you would think, you know, uh, it would be, you know, super high up there considering all the other, you know, pro sports that we think of nowadays are, uh, are, weren't really around. Uh, but uh, there was just so much going on in the world that time that, you know, from everything that I kind of read and, and researched, uh, you know, people were kind of uh, pushing baseball to the wayside and kind of, you know, focused more on the, the war efforts and, and just, uh, you know, everything else that was kind of happening in the world, like you were mentioning, the, the Spanish flu, um, you know, infected 500 million people um, in the world and killed 50 to 100 million people, um, which is like mind boggling. Um, and, and obviously the population wasn't as high as, as it is now. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, there were, there were kind of a lot of... Uh, a lot of other things going on um, that kind of took away uh, from from baseball in that era. So the World Series was played between the Red Sox and the Cubs. The series actually began in early uh, September and had an end date of September 15th. The war secretary of the country at the time declared baseball non-essential, which was part of the reason why it ended early. What did that mean when he declared baseball non-essential? Basically, you know, they needed, uh, there was a draft in place, um, but, but it was sort of almost a, a voluntary draft, if you will. And so, uh, you know, people across the country were, you know, there are a lot of people that were entering, but, you know, there, it wasn't a, a strict enough, um, I guess, a, str- a strict enough uh, law that they had put in place. So when they, when they set that down, um, it basically meant that, you know, if, if you were, um, you know, a, a man between 21 and 31 and were healthy, you had to go unless you were a doctor or, you know, someone of an essential um, industry. And so that meant, you know, if you, you, 
you would either enter the war or enter, you know, a war industry building, you know, ships or ammunition or whatever, um, and kind of uh, help that way. Um, so, so it really affected, obviously, uh, you know, baseball owners were kind of hoping that, you know, baseball will boost morale in the country and we need the distraction. And, um, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't that easy to convince the government that, um, but, uh, at the same time, um, you know, because so many players were leaving, uh, and, and heading to the draft, um, you know, the, the rosters were kind of, uh, you know, torn apart the, you know, you only had guys that were basically 31 plus, uh, playing, uh, on, on the teams. Um, so what ended up happening was they were able to, uh, you know, baseball owners, there wasn't really a, a, there was a national commission that was basically what MLB front offices are nowadays. Um, the national commission and, and, and Harry Frizee, the owner of the, the Red Sox and a few other team owners were able to convince the government, um, you know, we'll cut the season short, uh, at the very end of um, August, and then we'll start the World Series right after that, and then the guys can enter the war um, on September 15th. So, uh, so that's basically, you know, um, what they ended up doing. I think the season was 126 games. Um, at that point, they ended up playing uh, three double headers in a row to end the season. The Red Sox did to kind of get in some extra games, and then they headed straight into the World Series. Um, in uh, on September 4th was their first game. September 5th actually, because the fourth got rained out um and and ended up uh playing it from for those next for the next week basically um but yeah it was it was an extremely different time just in in many different ways but uh but that was uh that was kind of the, all the factors that played into effect um to, to kind of get the world series in and also you know make sure these guys were uh headed off and you know helping with all the war efforts Babe Ruth was the star pitcher for the Red Sox at the time. He actually quit the team midseason. He returned two days later. What was the cause of that abrupt exit from the team midseason? Yeah, um, in the beginning of the season, uh, you know, uh, as I was saying, a lot the rosters were some some players had already left for the war um, just because under their own volition, um, the the worker fight order hadn't really been um, put in place yet. Um, but there were a lot of you know, empty spots on the roster and, and Ed Barrow, the manager, the, the team at the time was trying to, you know, plug holes here and there and uh, had given, um, you know, Ruth had, had been a pitcher primarily up to that point. Hadn't really, you know, he played uh, other positions as, as a kid, but not in, uh, in, in professional ball. And so uh, he was slotted, I think, into left field or first base. It might've been at first and then left field. And uh, because he was getting more playing time, he started, uh, you know, being able to show what he could do with his bat more. Um, and so I think the first or second game that he was, you know, playing in the field, he hit like two home runs, which, you know, no one hit home runs back then. Uh, the previous year, I think the, the most home runs hit was 12 um, by, by a player. Um, so Ruth was kind of wowing people with the bat and, uh, you know, also was having to go back to the mound every few days. Um, but in the middle of the season, you know, he, he kind of liked the attention he was getting from, you know, um, being this big star hitter, um, you know, and all the fans obviously loved it or the fans, I guess, that were still following baseball at, the, at that time. And so uh, he kind of threw a fit basically um, because they weren't letting him. They still needed him on the mound because they didn't have enough pitchers and basically said he was going to quit the team um, and tried to go basically use uh, the worker fight order um, as a, you know, uh, an excuse to go uh, play for 
um, like a semi-professional, uh, a semi-professional league that was affiliated with the Chester Shipyard uh, Company that was basically a, a wartime, you know, shipbuilding um, industry, uh, company in, uh, in Chester, Pennsylvania, um, in the Delaware County area. So he left for about two days around the 4th of July and then realized they were also going to make him pitch. And so, uh, and, and also the, you know, Harry Frizee was basically, um, gonna, you know, sue the, sue the team for kind of stealing the, their star player away. So Ruth sort of, you know, uh, gave up his, his, uh, you know, um, his, you know, plight to try to, you know, uh, won over the Red Sox and came back and, and, you know, everything kind of smoothed over at that point. But I would say they basically almost lost him before they sold him, you know, two years later. I'm someone that pours over, you know, historical leaderboards and historical stats. I've always been fascinated by the stats that connect generations. And I do find it ridiculous. Look at all this that's going on. It's so ridiculous to think of like this happening today players walking out oh, yeah. like, I guess a, a Buffalo Bill just retired at halftime so that seems like something that could have happened in 1918 in right, baseball right. sense but these numbers that we take as like holiness they're so pure Babe Ruth numbers are ridiculous and I think we need to uh put some of this into context where it's like everyone's outraged because Barry Bonds took some testosterone so his numbers mean nothing but all of Ruth's numbers are are a hundred percent okay everything right. is good with these numbers <laughs> that seems just a little ridiculous but another thing that was funny or at least abnormal that gave some um, weirdness to the series which there were many was that before game five the players didn't play the game they had decided to uh, strike to try and get more money. They felt they weren't getting as much because the season ended sooner. And uh, so they basically just stood around for, what, an hour? And the crowd was growing restless. And then they eventually just caved and, and played. Is that what happened? Basically, yeah. So uh, earlier in the year, uh, as part of kind of um, in order, a concession, basically, that, that the owners had made in order to um, convince the government that they should be able to play the World Series. They they said, you know, we'll we'll cut you know their salaries short and we'll you know make them you know uh, pay uh, some of their uh, gate receipts that they'll get. Whoever wins the World Series will make them donate to the war charities. And in addition to that, they the owners had also sort of rearranged um, how the players were going to be awarded. Um, what they would get at the end of the series if they won and they would have to, you know, give money to some of the regular season, second, third and fourth place teams. It was a super convoluted, um, like 60% of the gate receipts and 40% of the 60%. It was just like this extremely confusing, um, you know, language that they had uh, devised and it was basically to get the owners more money um, and the, and they had just assumed the players wouldn't be able to understand all this language and they would just sign it sign off on it. Um, but there were two players on the Red Sox, uh, Dave Sheen uh, and Harry Hooper, who both had college degrees um, from uh, Fordham and St. Mary's. Um, and they were both, I think, engineering uh, degrees, um, which is also fascinating in itself. And so they had looked through a lot of the paperwork that they were presented before the series and realized, you know, something was up compared to last year. They were supposed to be getting like $2,000 less than the previous year's World Series winners. And so they tried to talk to, you know, the National Commission and the owners, and basically no one would budge. And so uh, it came down to, you know, uh, they had played three games in Chicago, and then they were going to play another four 
in Boston. Um, and and uh, that's how they had set up the, the series. So after they came back uh, from uh, game three, they played game four, but they were trying to still figure things out with the ownership um, and, and the other um, players. And they were even collaborating with some of the Cubs players too. Um, and uh, basically before game before game five, um, they just all decided not to take the field. And uh, they figured that'd be the only way that, you know, the owners would listen. And so uh, for about an hour, they sat around trying to debate, you know, over, over how they could change the language in this contract. And the owners basically weren't budging. Um, and so, uh, you know, the crowd was growing restless and it was already, uh, as we had talked about a little while ago, you know, people were already kind of frustrated with baseball to begin with, um, you know, playing baseball during the, the war, the war. And so, uh, you know, people were, you know, yelling the, the newspapers at the time were, were describing some of the colorful language that was being yelled, um, at some of the players once they eventually did come out. Uh, so basically the players decided they'd save face or as much as they could and that they'd play, um, and that they were promised by the owners that they would get, um, things sorted out after the series. And then it never did. And then because they, they, uh, went on this strike uh, during game five, um, the, the national commission or, you know, what now, what's now MLB off front offices never gave them their, um, what was the equivalent of world series rings back then they would get pins. Every winner would get like a world series pin and they were never, um, given to that 1918 team because they had gone on this strike. And for 75 years, you know, every player on the team, um, ended up dying uh, before they uh, finally baseball finally recognized the 1918 team um, in the ni- uh, during the 1993 season, which was 75 years later. Uh, so uh, so yeah, it's, it's another crazy you know element of that whole story um, that you know I don't think uh, too many of us knew about. This was the lowest scoring World Series in history, but the Red Sox did get some run production from an unlikely source. Tell me about George Whiteman. Yeah, so um, along the lines of, uh, you know, what I was saying about Babe Ruth earlier and kind of getting slotted into the field, uh, Whiteman was another guy that was added to the roster because, you know, uh, they were missing a lot of players due to the war. And so he had he had basically been a career minor leaguer. Um, he had been in the minors since 1900, I think it was 1905. Um, and he had had maybe seven or so major league games from 05 to 18, but just kind of kept trekking away. But he signed um, with the Red Sox at the start of the 18 season. He ended up playing about 70 games and was, you know, a pretty decent player. And uh, when when they had uh, Ruth on the mound for the game one start, uh, Whiteman was in left field. And he had like two hits and made like three tremendous catches. And the newspapers basically described him as a, you know, a, a Jackie Bradley Jr. type in some of these tumbling game saving catches he made. And so uh, Barrow, the manager, decided to keep Whiteman in the game the next day. And he basically did the same thing. Um, and so you know, he basically t- took playing time away, you know, field time away from uh, from from Ruth and Ruth would Ruth pitched um, two games, but that was basically all he, you know, got in into the world series because Whiteman was just producing day after day. Um, and then the series ended. And uh, one thing I haven't mentioned, the war ended two months later, they thought this war was going to keep going on and on and on. 
and baseball wasn't even supposed, you know, they were basically ending baseball um, after the World Series. They weren't sure if they were even going to play in 1919 because they just assumed that the war was going to be still going. Uh, but the war ended in November. Um, and so baseball back went back to normal the following year. Um, and, and Whiteman, you know, had had this tremendous World Series and basically would have been named the MVP if they had given, you know, an MVP trophy in the World Series back then. Um, but he wasn't. And, and then because, you know, he was sort of this flash pan player in the World Series, they never even ended up signing him again the next year. And he returned to the minors and played another like 10 years in the minors. Um, and didn't retire until he was in his mid forties. Uh, so just a wild, <laughs> wild story there. Um, and then just ended up, you know, becoming a Texas league manager, um, and, you know, moving back down home after a while, I think he played until he was about 45 or 46. Um, so he ended up playing like 25 years in the minors. Um, and that 1918 world series was, was sort of his claim to fame. The Red Sox did win the series in six games. I want to jump back a little bit because this is one of my favorite parts in your piece. You had a bunch of different quotes from the newspapers at the time giving their account of what happened, but they all disagreed a little bit. Babe Ruth did get into a... Babe Ruth suffered an injury on a train ride early in the series, and no one knows exactly what happened, but he did have like a bloodied up hand after after riding on the train. What do we think happened with Ruth's hand there? So, uh, so yeah, the first three games were played in Chicago, and uh, both teams would take the same train back to Boston. And, in fact, then it took about a day for a tra- train ride. Uh, you know, it took about, I think it was like 26 hours from uh, from Chicago to Boston. And so uh, I guess in order – during that time or during that day uh, was the birthday of one of the players, this guy Walt Kinney on the team, and he turned 25 – and so part, some of the stories um, were saying that, that Ruth and Kinney were, you know, celebrating the birthday, Kinney's birthday. And other stories um, or versions of the stories were basically saying that uh, the players had started talking about what they were going to do um, in terms of um, this work stoppage or basically that that's a strike that they were planning and that things were getting, you know, uh, too, you know, bogged down with people frustrated by these, uh, what the owners had had done with their uh, contracts for the the World Series, and so either way, um, I guess uh, Ruth and Kinney were trying to uh, lighten the mood uh, in the, in the train cars, and they were uh, back then everyone wore straw, wore straw hats um, as part of their traveling attire, and I guess uh, Ruth and Kinney were kind of going around and punching out the tops of the straw hats uh, as kind of like a joke thing, um, and try to make everybody laugh. Um, which I feel like it would, it would, in my mind, I was thinking that would probably bother more people than anything because they probably weren't too cheap. But anyway, um, one of his punches, one of Ruth's punches went awry and either went through a window or hit the side of the car. And he emerged, you know, in Boston with his basically this sprained um, finger on his pitching hand, but still came out in game five or game four and, uh, and, and, you know, um, gritted through the, the start and, um, and they ended up, uh, you know, getting through that game with him on the mound. It sort of reminded me of, you know, Kurt Schilling in the 04 uh, ALCS there, uh, kind of with the bloody sock. But, uh, yeah, it was just another uh, funny, funny story to kind of come out of that series. You've been listening to Jen McCaffrey. You can read her stuff at The Athletic and give her a follow on Twitter at JC McCaffrey. 
Jen, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.